gracious Heavenly Father, as we come into these moments now where we open your word, Jesus, as we gather to sit at your feet and hear from your heart, speak what is true, that we would be transformed into people that would be true worshipers, that we would bring honor and glory to you, God, and that through our lives we would point more people in the direction of Jesus, that they would come into a living and eternal relationship with you through your amazing grace. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Her name was Beulah Oric. I'll never forget her. She lived a life that was different. Maybe you've seen these people that, that you can just tell their character has been impacted and changed by the power of God and their relationship. She lived this life that you could see in her generosity and this the, the way she spoke and, and cared about people. Now, she wasn't perfect like none of us are. She would have bad days and, and things would, would get her down. But, but for the most part, she lived out her faith. And when she was almost 80 years old, she loved Jesus. She loved children and teaching kids in Sunday school. And you could walk down the hallway of the church and see her in a classroom down on the floor with a children's book with a bunch of kids around her learning about the Lord. Nobody knew how, how much it took for her to get down there on the ground with them because when she was about 20-something years old back in the day, she, they had an ice storm, uh, kind of like we had last week, and she slipped in her driveway, fell, and broke a couple of vertebrae in her back, had all these surgeries, and it was painful, but she never let on to that. She just loved the Lord and loved people. And, and, and Beulah Oric, my grandmother, lived a life of worship. Today we conclude a series called Worship, and we've been in this over the last few weeks, and, and we started off looking at what is worship, and then some of the, uh, the acts of worship, singing and, and clapping and all that, and then last week, Pastor Tim, we looked at with the heart of worship and authentic motives that God is looking for when we come to him. And this morning, I want us to talk about living a life of worship as we look back to what the Apostle Paul taught us in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, when he said this, I urge you, therefore, brothers and sisters in Christ, by the, the mercies of God, to present your, your bodies, yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of service. He's saying that I want you to not just to come to church to a worship service and not just sing a worship song to me or, or go through the motions, but I'm looking for this all to connect in you and you to become a living sacrifice. What does this mean? Why would God want this for our lives? You know, there's some people that, that, that have not, this is a brand new way of thinking about worship for you. Because maybe in the past you thought, you know, oh, I'll, I'll get up with my family. I could really go play some golf or hit the lake, but I'll, I'll go and I'll, I'll go to the church and then I can check that little part of my week off. And then, then Sunday's over and I can just get back to, and I'm out doing my thing and I'm going to, about what I'm doing and there's, there's not a, a connection. But I believe that God today is calling the hearts of some people back into a deeper place with him. He's saying, I want to show you the power and the joy of a transformed life and how you can live a life that makes it a kingdom impact. When you take your faith and you take it out and you live a life that is defined by worship. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them with me to Psalm 
145 in the Old Testament. When I was growing up in Sunday school, like to find Psalms, they say like, take your Bible, just like what, open it right to the middle. And you would, hopefully you're getting right in there to Psalms so you can find it. If you're online, look it up, Psalm 145. As we spend the next few moments looking at the, this question and probing this, how can I live a life of worship? We're going to get into the heart of a man that I call like the God's singer songwriter, David. You know, he wrote so many of the Psalms, like God's uh, songbook in the Old Testament. And here's King David, and you're familiar with him. He had a life that had moments of, of great triumph. You know, he like defeated Goliath. He was crowned and anointed a king, and he won a lot of battles. But then he had his struggles. Just like we all do, like he, he stumbled into to things that tripped him up, Bathsheba, Uriah, all of this. But God called him back in, in grace, and, in, and it was said that he, David was a man after God's own heart. And so David, he, under the Holy Spirit, he, he writes these psalms, and God gives them to us as a gift to get into his heart and to understand what does it mean to live a life of worship. And so as we look at this psalm this morning... We're going to see that out of the, the 150 psalms that are in the Bible, this, this one right here is the last one that is attributed to David's authorship. It's the only one out of all the 150 that if you look, there's a little subtitle right above it in your Bible that says, A Psalm of Praise. It's the only one that has that. It's a beautiful, splendid, magnificent psalm and declaration of praise to the Lord. And we're going to pull some truths out of this today as we look about how can I live a life of worship. And so as we dive in this morning, the, the first thing that, that we're going to see in this passage this morning is that a life of worship acknowledges God's position. Verse 1, David said, he writes, I will exalt you, my God, the king, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. So here we have David, King David. He was anointed by God to lead the nation of Israel. So he's uh, in a position of prominence. He's got the crown. He's the king. But he's also saying that I am acknowledging a greater king. The king of kings is my king. And, and so I'm going to realign my, my standing and my place before my creator. He's acknowledging God's position. He says, I will exalt you, God. The word exalt in the... And the Bible means to, to, to place in a, a place of highest honor, to, to give this place of highest adoration in your life. And that's what David was saying. He says, I'm going to praise your name when, he says, forever. And I love this, that right after that, he doesn't just stop with, hey, I'm going to praise you forever. He wants to leave no doubt that, God, I'm, I'm, I'm all in here with my worship. And he, he adds another little ever. It says, he, I will praise you forever. And ever, like I'm not gonna, nothing's gonna trip me up, Lord. I'm gonna keep bringing you praise day after day. Man, in our lives, we struggle with that, don't we? Like, there's some days like I'm not feeling it. Like, Lord, I can't, I can't even muster up. Uh, like, you don't have any idea what I'm dealing with over here. Like, how am I supposed to string together like consecutive days of like praise? You know, like I'm just trying to get through the week. But David said, I'm going to give him praise every day of my life in the middle of 
whatever I'm in the mess, the mayhem of, of my life. It doesn't matter if I'm on the mountain or I'm in the valley. I'm going to praise the Lord because he said, I'm going to keep my alignment where it needs to be on my great God and my great king. Is he king of your heart? A king sits on a throne. A king protects. A king defends. A king provides for. And so God wants to be the king of your heart and wear the crown of your life. Let's go on. And the next truth that we can learn about being living a life of worship is this. Praise God's power. Verse 3 says, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty. I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of your power and your awesome works. And I will proclaim your great deeds. And so David is realizing this and he's communicating this, this truth right here. He's like, nobody has the, the mental capacity to fully grasp the vastness of our God. He's like, you can try, but he is so big. He has so much wisdom, has so many resources. There's so much knowledge. He sees the future. He sees the past. He puts it all together and he's so vast and no one can even fathom it. That should give you great hope that he he sees what you're in and he sees every dynamic and, and how it's playing out. When I was in seminary and I, I had a professor one time that was trying to give an analogy on, on how just vast God's wisdom is. And, and he said, man, this is a, it's going to break down every analogy that kind of breaks down. But try this out. He's like, imagine this whole wall here was the, was the sum of all of God's knowledge and wisdom. And that's him. And then if you took like a little straight pen and you just poked a little hole, boop right in there and then you shone a light from the behind it where that little pin light would come through that's like our our ability in knowledge compared to to the vastness of what god has and so he has the wisdom and he says you can lean into me and trust me no one can fathom what i know and what i can do but i'm here to help you in your life recognize and praise god's power but the beauty of this is what Don Trudy prayed just a little bit earlier in the prayer for John is though God is so vast and he's so powerful. He's so personal. He knows your situation. He knows where you are this morning and what you're walking through. And he says, I've come to meet you with the vastness of my glory, but to come and meet you where you are right now personally in your life. Man, when we experience that and when we, we begin to live in this, knowing that God loves us so much, then, then David, what does he say after this? He's like, don't keep that to yourself. What does he say? One generation will commend his works to the next. God is saying, it's time for you to, to share it on, to pass it, to teach your, your children. I love in this church as I see parents coming up here and I go to the preschool and man, I just see parents investing in teaching and having conversations and, and passing on the faith to other generations and weaving in to their story about God did this and he's working in these these ways. When I was about three or four years old back in the early 70s, I my family, we would go out near Abilene because my great-grandparents had like a 189-acre like little farm out there. And so we'd go out there in the summer. And 
man, in the 70s, if you know, like, there was only like three TV stations. You had the rabbit ears and all that kind of stuff. And then, uh, after about 7, 8 o'clock, you know, it would just get boring. So they would turn off the TV and wait till the 10 o'clock news. And so in this little time frame, we would all just kind of gather in the family room. And I remember the stories. Maybe you, you had those kind of things where, like, they're just sharing. And, and they would talk about, wow, we came out here to West Texas. We had nothing. We scraped it together. We got this place. And then the Dust Bowl hit. Remember that? Like the Dust Bowl, the, like back in the, the, the Great Depression. And man, they were like, we didn't know how we were going to survive. We did all this. But God was faithful. He never let up. He kept bringing us through it. And so they would tell the stories of God's faithfulness. It shaped us, man, as kids. It shaped me and my brother and our understanding. And so David is saying, it's time for you to share and to pass on the faith to the next generation. Keep it up. That's a life of worship is where your story contains God's story and you're passing it on. The next thing that we can learn about a life of worship is this. We need to remember God's personality. Look in verse 7 with me. David says this. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. Verse 8, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he made. Here in this section, David, he's reaching back to Exodus chapter 34. If you remember a couple, about a month ago, we went through a series on the, the, the attributes and the characteristics of God. And in Exodus 34, God himself gives us like an autobiography. He says, here is what I'm like. If you want to know what I'm like, and he, he lists it out. And so David's getting that material and he's putting it into this song that he's writing. And he, it wasn't just that he was grabbing some list about God. This was a list that David knew personally. He had lived it. Maybe, maybe you've lived some of these in your life and you could give testimony. God is, is compassionate. Oh, wow, that time that, that I got so off track, he was slow to anger, and he, he called me back in his great mercy. Have you experienced it? He says, I am rich in love toward my people. All my friends today, we've got to remember the personality and the characteristics of God. Is here's, the, here's the trap and the problem that we are up against. It's that we face this enemy, the devil, who wants to mess that up and to cloud our thinking and to put in seeds of doubt about God's love for us. If you Remember back to the Garden of Eden, like there's Eve, and, and what did the serpent say? He, he, he questions, like, did God, did, did he really say that? And we can get trapped in these mindsets of the enemy saying, could, could God really forgive you for what you've done and ever restore you again? Like, I don't know. And like we get to questioning and, and God's calling us back. He said, I want you to come to my word and I want you to, to look into my heart and to see that I am a God of compassion and to, to see my characteristics of my heartbeat for you, my people. I love you so much. Get back into his heart. Get back into the, the word and to remember his personality. The next principle is this, that we need to trust in God's promises. Trust God's promises. Look in verse 10 with me. It says, all your works praise you, Lord. Your faithful people extol you. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know 
of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. Now look at this part, how he ends this. The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and all, and he's faithful in all that he does. So the main point of this little section right here is it's, it's bigger than just God saying like, look at my splendor and majesty and glory. Yes, we see that he is in these vast and stuff, but he, he, at the end he's saying, here's what the truth is. This part is I am trustworthy and I'm going to keep my promises to you. We make so many promises, don't we? Big ones, small ones. Like, hey, I'll come through. I'll help you with that. And then we don't. And then we, we try to cut deals with God too sometimes, don't we? We're like, Lord, if you'll just like provide this job for me, if you'll help me get this, if you'll, if you'll, Lord, I mean this guy, if you will set up this date with this, with this person for me, I will spend the rest of every Sunday, I'm going to be in church and I will never miss. He comes through and then what do we do? We, we forget. We break our promises and he says, I'm faithful. I'm never going to break one. I've never broken one. I never will. I promise that I will never leave you or forsake you. I promise I go to prepare a place and I will come back with you and I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Every single one of his promises are true and he keeps them. Even when we can't hold up our end of the deal, he's faithful. Maybe you've been burned out there before by people that have just shredded and stripped the riggings off of your trust. You know, like I'm having a hard time because this person burned me. And and so the Lord's saying, rest in me today. You can trust me. I love you. Trust his promises. The next truth that we learn from this today about living a life of worship is rejoice in God's provisions. Look at verse 13. It says, the Lord is trustworthy and in all he promises and faithful in all he does. 14, the Lord upholds all who fall and lifts up all those who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them food at their proper time. And then look at this incredible verse in 16. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. God, he's so vast and so powerful, yet he's so tender. He's so dialed in. He's so attentive to your very needs. It says he opens his hand to give you every good thing. And if you need a a homework, something to do this week, I would encourage you to memorize verse 16 as you reflect on his generosity and how his hand is not tightly clenched. And he wants to, to give into your life. What are you lacking right now? Significance. I need wisdom right now for a decision that's coming up, Lord. Pray. He says uh, in the book of James, he generously provides all wisdom. What is it? You need some provision. You need hope. You need whatever. He says, I'm here for you and my hands are open. And our Savior Jesus, he knew we had a need that that was so big that we couldn't meet it ourselves. And Jesus says, I'm not going to just open one of my hands for you. I'm going to open both of them. 
I'm going to open both of my hands, these hands that, that picked up little children and, 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 and touched people's broken bodies and, and, and brought healing to people and I brought comfort to people. And I'm going to open up my hands for you and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay my hand down on the, on the rugged timber beam of the cross and, and I'm going to lay there and willingly as they drive a spike through my hand to, to take my life. And I'm going to take that spike that should have been yours. But I'm going to go because I love you. And I'm going to open my hands. And now, church, today, today, the, the, the risen hands of our Savior that, that bear those scars, the scars that, that Doubting Thomas was able to, to touch and feel, those those risen hands are open to you and me today with his grace. He says, come, come. I've got great gifts for you. And I want to welcome you into grace and goodness. He opens his hands for us to provide for our needs. He took the nails. And when we realize the magnitude of this, oh, wow. Like we start to think about where would I be without the grace of God? And, and, and this thing wells up inside of us like a worship. And it gets into our lives. And how can we not be affected by his amazing truth and grace? Rest in God's presence is the next one. Rest in God's presence. If you want to live a life of worship, sometimes you got to just relax a little bit and just enjoy being in the Lord's presence and being near to him. Listen to verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears the cries, their cries, and he saves them. The Lord is near to all. Are you feeling lonely right now? Maybe you feel like, man, my prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. I don't know if he's even hearing me. Today, your heavenly father says, I am near you. I'm with you in the middle of whatever that situation is. I'm walking with you through the fire. I haven't deserted you and I am near you. And I loved in the next part where he says, he hears the cries of our hearts. You know, in this culture we live in, sometimes it's hard to, to feel listened to. You know, there's so much talk and everything and like message boards and just media and uh it's like i just like need somebody to listen to me and god says i hear the cries of your heart i'm leaning into you i'm listening to you with attentiveness because i love you rest in him he knows the desires of your heart the last thing is this that we learned today about a life of worship is that we're gonna live declaring declare god's praises Verse 20, the Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. And then look in 21, my mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. My mouth will speak in praise to the Lord. As I was studying this and preparing, the Holy Spirit grabbed me by the collar and he was trying to, to say, does your mouth, always speak the praises of the Lord? Like what else is coming out of there? 
uh, do your hands type the praises of the Lord or your fingers texting the praises of the Lord? He's calling us back and he says the life of a worshiper is going to be congruent that I'm going to, that, that my communication is going to reflect the praise of God so that every creature will know his glory. He's calling you back into to, to a renewal and into to come in to his presence and to declare his praise. But then it goes beyond this, just a word of praise. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews, how he characterizes living a life of worship. He says this in verse 15, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise and what is this? The fruit of lips that openly profess his name. So we're professing him, we're singing, we're talking about him, but it doesn't just stop there. He says, connect it with your life, verse 16, and do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. He's calling us now into a life of worship that connects all of this together, that we would go out and to live as is his people empowered on the inside by his spirit. And so our mission of, as this church is that we come together and we sing and we, we pray together. We, we fellowship together. We study the word of God together. We, we link arms together in Jesus Christ as his body. But then we don't just stay here. We, we leave this place. We go out worshiping. We go out from here declaring. He's calling you. He's calling you to a life of worship, to, to go out of here, back into the grind, back into the schedule, back into your family, back into the night shift. He's calling you to back into the inglorious and the, the, the mundane, but he says, I'm calling you to go worshiping. How will you respond to that? You say, Lord, I don't know, man, you're just put, it's like, don't call me out of my comfort zone. I don't want people around me in my life to know, you know, like I'm a fanatic or something. He's saying, no, I just want you to go and live and, and, and just live a life of praise. And so I don't know about you guys, but, but I pray that, that I would be numbered with those that would say, oh God. Let my heart be filled with worship that worship would not just stay in this church because we are the church. And so now, God, as we go out, Lord, let me understand that worship is not just a, a Sunday thing. It's an everyday thing. It's an everywhere thing as we go out to live for the glory of God until the whole world hears. Church, go out now. And live with confidence that life of praise that he's calling you to, a life of worship to his glory. Amen.